You're listening to the Group Practice Exchange Podcast. We're the business development resource for group practice owners, where we talk candidly about business ownership and leadership. From practice building tips to live coaching to real talk episodes with other group practice owners, we're the resource you've been looking for to help you grow your group practice. I'm your host, group practice owner and entrepreneur, Maureen Werbach. This episode is sponsored by Therapy Notes. Therapy Notes is an online EHR, practice management, and billing software designed for mental health professionals. Therapy Notes has everything you need to manage patient records, schedule appointments, create rich documentation, and bill insurance right at your fingertips. They offer free and unlimited live support seven days a week. Their streamlined software is accessible wherever and whenever you need it. To get two free months, go to www.therapynotes.com forward slash r forward slash the group practice exchange. Need a new accountant or bookkeeper? Meet Green Oak Accounting, an accounting firm that works specifically with private practices. They do all of your accounting needs from budgeting to accounting to bookkeeping and payroll to building your dashboard. On top of that, they can help you set up your profit first systems. Go to greenoakaccounting.com and mention the group practice exchange for $100 off your first month. Hey everyone, I hope you're having a great day today. Today I wanted to do something different and something that I'm going to do more of in the future, which is pull an excerpt from a training that was done in my membership community, The Exchange, and play it inside this podcast and and have a little commentary before and after. So this first training that we have in the exchange that I'm going to share a piece of is Anti-Racism for Leaders. It was a training done by Natalie Edmond. She's a group practice owner and an anti-racism coach. And in this excerpt, she's talking about um, how to go from an all-white club as an organization or as a business to an anti-racist organization. And she outlines... Um, the sort of the steps that you need to move closer to an anti-racist organizations and some of the what the culture of um, these different categories are. So there's the all white club, the token or affirmative action organization, the multicultural organization and the anti-racist organiza- organization organization. And in it, she talks a little bit about the culture and what the feel of organizations that fit into this all-white club or this uh, token or affirmative action organization, multicultural and anti-racist organization are. And it was a great way for me as a white business owner to learn uh, about the difference between multicultural and anti-racist organization. And so I wanted to share that piece with you. And if you're interested, be sure to hop into the exchange to watch the full training. So this looks at what does it mean to move towards being an anti-racist organization? You know, if we think about our forefathers, right, that it was an all-white club in the beginning. I mean, it was not only an all-white club, it was an all-white cis male club. And decisions tended to be made in private ways that people can't see or really know. That's how decisions are made in that kind of the all-white club. Uh, if we think about our practices, it's often primarily self-pay and like these kind of models. Um, 
the practice is usually located in primarily white suburban or affluent areas because those are the people who often can afford self-pay prices. Um, and decorations tend to reflect a predominantly white culture or neutrality. Um, the other thing about the culture of an all-white club uh, it tends to be top-down. Um, success is measured by how much is accomplished. Um, process is not as important. Conflict is avoided at all costs. Uh, and leaders tend to assume we're all the same. People who raise issues that make people feel uncomfortable are considered troublemakers or hard to work with. And there's very little analysis around power or oppression. And then we have kind of affirmative action organizations or where we have a few BIPOC individuals in those spaces. Often it's still very much the same. Um, leadership is still predominantly white, um, still located in predominantly white communities. And then we move to a multicultural organization, which tends to have a more diverse leadership team. Um, there's some sliding fee and there's some taking of insurance. Um, uh, decorations tend to reflect more of a commitment to multiculturalism. Um, perhaps the location of the practice or practices is a little bit more diverse in terms of the population served. Um, there's more of a celebration of diversity in these multicultural organizations, um, though uh, power analysis still doesn't tend to happen in these organizations. Uh, there's some discussion around uh, reducing prejudice, but it's uncomfortable naming racism and not quite at that level of anti-racism. Conflict is still really avoided. And then we see these anti-racist organizations where really at every level, they're really working towards looking at uh, oppression and power, this idea of professionalism, um, there's much more power sharing. There's much more openness to conflict. There's much more um, accessibility for people with, uh, who, so perhaps insurance is taking or there's a sliding fee scale. Um, and the insurance reflects the people in their local area. And they really have figured out a way to mentor people, right? This idea of like, if you really want a more uh, diverse workforce, um, that you realize that people don't always have the same access to education and to training. And so you're willing to do what you have to do in order to, one, it make your, uh, your place of employment uh, someplace that's inviting to mentor BIPOC individuals. Because I think what's, what's problematic and harmful at times is that when we're in the token um, or formative action column, is that we can hire BIPOC individuals, but the culture will be oppressive in subtle ways, right? Those microaggressions will happen because the staff will not have done their inner work around looking at whiteness and looking at the ways in which silence is violence or the ways in which race is not an issue, right? So I think about people who talk about when George Floyd was murdered at the end of May, that so many BIPOC individuals, particularly black individuals, went to work the next day and there was no discussion at work about what happened, right? But if we look at like the collective impact, right? That there was collective grief happening and for people to have to leave those parts of themselves at the door or to have performative allyship, right? Where 
we put a message out on social media or on our website, but we're not in it for the long haul. We're not really looking at like what can sustain change in our organization. What are ways in which we've been complicit in the past, right? That we've all been complicit at some point, myself included, but how can we change that so that there's accountability in the future? How do we get training for our staff? How do we make this an ongoing goal that is required and not optional? All right, we're back. So after listening to the excerpt from the anti-racism for leaders training that Natalie did, what's coming up for you? Um, I remember what came up for me in initially listening to her do this training really came down to the difference between a multicultural organization and an anti-racist organization. Um, and, and really, you know, feeling like those were the same. And um, I don't know what, what came out for you most uh, as something new or something that kind of sparked this thought of where you might need to do some work in your organization. Um, but one of the things that I had learned is that um, in a multicultural organization, it still is assuming a level playing field, but there's an unwillingness to name racism or address conflict uh, around racism. And there's still no power analysis um, in a multicultural organization where there is in an anti-racist organization. And workaholism is desired and rewarded still in a multicultural organization, whereas in an anti-racist organization, um, company owners and those in, in power and in, in leadership positions have a willingness to name racism and address conflict in their organizations. They have resources that are devoted to developing shared goals, teamwork, and shared knowledge. And it's designed to build and share power. And I think that's the biggest piece, the key that I took away from what um, really differentiates a multicultural from an anti-racist organization is that it's designed to build and share power. Um, and so I, I really appreciated learning this piece of it. And I'd be interested to hear what, what you got from it. If you're still uh, wanting to learn more about how you can have an anti-racist organization, how you can move towards being an anti-racist organization, I highly recommend looking for a coach that can help you walk through that, both on a personal level, but also on, on an organizational level. And there are plenty of great people out there. Um, I, Like I mentioned before, I get my own coaching through Natalie. And um, you can go to her website at um, Mindful and Multicultural Counseling. So her website is www.mmcounselingcenter.com. And she does this kind of work. And um, I highly recommend making sure that you're incorporating and prioritizing anti-racism in your own work as a person, but also as a leader in your organization. Thanks for listening to the Group Practice Exchange podcast. Like what you heard? Give us five stars on whatever platform you're listening from. Need extra support? Join The Exchange, a membership community just for group practice owners with monthly office hours, live webinars, and a library of trainings ready for you to dive into. Visit www.members.thegrouppracticeexchange.com forward slash exchange. See you next week.